In many and in various ways, God spoke to his people of old by the prophets. But now in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Seems weird to be up here. It's the first time in almost two years. But I thought if we're going to do it anytime, it's going to be on a day like today. Because I want to start with preaching class, which is not something that falls under the duties of deaconess. But in preaching class, we were taught that there were occasions when people are going to really be focused and paying attention to what you have to say. And there are going to be other occasions when they will not be focused on anything that's coming out of your mouth. The former category, funerals. It's one of the few occasions when I really do see that I have people's rapt attention. They're actually listening. And in the latter category, weddings. People really don't remember anything that you say at the wedding. They are focused on the bride and her white dress and the groom and whatever it is that he's wearing. Nobody remembers that either and other stuff. Now, when we had preaching class, we talked about funerals and weddings. But the one thing we never really talked about was ordinations and commissionings and consecrations and whether or not people were paying attention then or not. So I'm not sure exactly where they fall. Which made me think of one of my favorite comedic sketches from the 1960s from Bob Newhart. Anybody remember Bob Newhart? He does this great little sketch where he does one side of a conversation between a press agent, a PR guy, and off screen, the voice you don't hear, is that of a fake Abraham Lincoln. The idea is that there is no Abraham Lincoln, and so Madison Avenue, the publicity people, have to create an Abraham Lincoln because one was needed for the time. And so at this particular point in the skit, they're talking about this speech that the people have written for Abe, which we know of as the Gettysburg Address. And the fake Abe has some concerns. And one of his chief concerns is this line in the speech that says that people will little note nor long remember what is spoken here today. The PR guy says, what, what could possibly be wrong with that line? And the fake Abe has responded to him by saying, what if people actually remember it? And of course, he says, well, of course, they're going to remember it, Abe. But you can't go out there and say, this is a great speech. I think everyone's going to remember it. You come off looking like a braggart. Don't you see that? And the more I thought about that sketch, the more I thought that really, I think sermons like this probably fall into the wedding category more than the funeral category. People will little note nor long remember what I'm about to say here for the next 10 minutes or so. And you know what? That's just as well. Because the thing you are going to remember, Emily, is the word of God that we're going to reflect on. Because while my sermon will be consigned to the digital trash heap at some point, this scripture we're going to go through, you're going to read over and over and over again. From this day till the Lord calls you home. Micah, we heard these words read this morning, and you're going to hear them again and again. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? 
Well, what have you got? You bring anything this morning? Oil? I didn't see any rams, which is just as well, because then you have to clean up after them. You got anything that you can come here and lay before God? Emily and I both know, as all of you hopefully have learned over the years, that no matter how much we think we're bringing before the Lord, it's never enough. And after all, as I often say at Christmas time, if you struggle over what to get the person who has everything, you're really going to struggle over what to give to God. He has everything. He owns the rams and the oil before you think you're going to come and bring it before his altar. It's never enough. So the prophet says that he has told you, O man and woman, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? Emily, that is your high calling among us, is to remind us by your words and prayers and action the importance of those words. That if any of us really want to offer something to God, if we are like, we, we want to give the Lord our best, we, we want to come and make an offering before him, then the thing we ought to offer is justice in a world that each and every day seems more brutally unjust. To show that we love kindness in a world that increasingly prides itself on the snide remark and cynicism and to teach us and remind us how to walk humbly with our God in a world that is convinced it can walk proudly by itself. Thank you very much. You may not remember anything I say about those words, but you will read those words again, and they will dwell richly in you. Now, our other reading was from Paul's first letter to the church in Thessaloniki, in Greece, where Paul says, we give thanks to God always for all of you. And I noticed you looking out at this flock of gods gathered here, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, sister loved by God, that he has chosen you. So, Sister Emily, listen carefully, not to me, and these words you're going to forget, but what God is saying to you and what you are going to read again and again and again. That we are remembering you constantly before our God and Father, remembering your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope. Faith, hope, and love. I've heard those before somewhere. I think Paul makes heavy use of those three words, and that he is remembering all those things about you, and we are remembering them in our Lord Jesus Christ. Because that's the critical part, right? It's easy to say these things about God in general, but there are going to be times when it just doesn't make any sense if you don't believe that the faith and the hope and the love are coming to you and are being prayed for you in our Lord Jesus Christ. I can speak from 18 years of experience in the ministry, and I know there's at least two people here that can speak from many, many more, that you are going to have days when faith seems to be running dry. 
There are going to be days when hope seems like a very distant and receding light in the tunnel. If it isn't, you worry, the oncoming train. And there are going to be days when love grows cold. It happens. And in those days, you're not going to remember anything I'm saying, but you're going to read those words from Paul in 1 Thessalonians and elsewhere, where he is going to say, you are in our Lord Jesus Christ. And steadfastness and hope and faith and love will always be yours in your Lord who was crucified for you and raised again from the dead for you, just as much as it was raised for all of us. Each day you're going to see your faith, hope, and love a little bit less. You know that? But in Christ Jesus, those around you are only going to see more. That's the great paradox of faith, and it's how sin is undone. We see ourselves less, and we see Jesus more. And so when you come across those words again, remember them and listen. And lastly, Jesus. Of course, Jesus. Ultimately, always, Jesus who on the night when he was betrayed, when you and I would only be thinking ahead to the horror that awaits us hour by hour by hour, and what's going to come at the very end of that, Jesus sets it all aside, puts on a towel, and washes his disciples' feet. And says to his friends, truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master." nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Blessed, another big, heavy word in the Gospels. We know it best from the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew's Gospel, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. But what does that blessedness mean? Do you know how that term was applied in Jesus's time? Do you know who were the blessed that everyone talked about? The wealthy, the powerful, the ones who sat at the top of the pyramid. You interviewed anybody in Jesus's time on the street and said, give me quick somebody who's blessed. Caiaphas, Pilate, Herod, and their entourage. And yet here's Jesus coming to you and I, Emily, and to all of you gathered here today and saying, you are the blessed ones. It is to you that God applies this term, not to the rich and the powerful and those we think are the ones who have all the blessings. To be among the blessed is not to be among them, but to be counted among the servants. The masters become the servants, and Jesus, the greatest servant of all, even though he is truly master of all things. Remember that when you read John 13, and when you hear those words, which you will every Holy Week on Holy Thursday as we gather. You will little note nor long remember anything else I say about being blessed. But when you hear those words, you will remember they are about you. 
and they are about you being a servant of the crucified and despised master of the cosmos. And if he, our Lord and master, would do these things and have them done to them, it will be done to us as well. And what that means is we are counted among the blessed, whom God looks upon as those who he prizes most and holds in highest favor. Another event that I didn't talk about at the very beginning, amongst weddings and funerals and commissionings and ordinations, is the preaching of confirmation sermons. Now, I remember absolutely nothing of my confirmation sermon because honestly, true disclosure, I passed out during my confirmation. These things happen. Um, it was my godmother that had to escort me out of the church because we did have heat waves back then too. Um, and I remember it was something like 33 degrees Celsius that day and the humidity was about 90% and there was no air circulation in our little tiny church in Sudbury, Ontario. And so honestly, I don't remember what the pastor said. But I do remember the word of God that was given to me on that day. I am the vine. You are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And while I don't remember anything the preacher said that day, each and every day of my ministry, I am reminded of the verse that the Lord spoke to me. And whenever I come across that verse in John chapter 15, it brings back a whole host of memories of what God is doing for me. And I pray, Emily, the same thing for you. Each time you look at Micah chapter 6, each time you read 1 Thessalonians in those opening words, each time you hear again what Jesus did for you and for me and for his disciples, as recorded in John 13. So I leave you with one last word from Hebrews that I hope when you come across that word will also remind you of what the Lord has done for you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is your Alpha and Omega. He is your high priest, your great physician. The Lord is the one who sees you. And the Lord has given you a name that no one knows. You will forget all of this, except what the Lord has said to you, that you are his. And when you read his words again, you will remember and never forget. In the name of Jesus Christ.